Recording in progress. Good afternoon and welcome to the Personnel Administration and Legislation Committee meeting with the Board of Supervisors for February the 5th. Um, may I have roll call? Supervisor Tam. I'm present. Supervisor Carson, excused. Um, we're putting out a short APB on Supervisor Carson, so he may be here soon. Um, so let's uh, start with the federal legislation report, please. Thanks, Supervisor. Um, you have Emily DeSilva and John Asini here today with CJ Lake. Um, as far as the schedule, it's a weird week this week. Both the House and the Senate are in session, but the House uh, is flying in today and uh, they adjourn on Wednesday. And then the Senate will be in, um, uh, th they will recess on Friday. So the House has a really short week. The House will be in session next week and then the Senate will be in recess. Um, the big news is that, you know, the Senate uh, has been working on a bipartisan immigration bill for the last uh, few months. And last night, Senate negotiators released the text of the border security and international aid supplemental. The bill includes $118 billion in supplemental funding for Ukraine, Israel, and the Indo-Pacific, and additional resources at the U.S.-Mexico border. The bill also includes several policy changes to the asylum system and some visa programs. It contains changes to existing law that would enable the president to shut down the southern border to asylum seekers and other migrants. The changes would allow Border Patrol to turn away migrants who try to cross cross between ports of entry, except for unaccompanied minors and people fleeing torture. Um, the president would be required to halt entry at the border whenever average daily migrant arrivals hit 5,000 for a week or 8,500 on a single day. He would have the option to do so whenever the daily average hits 4,000 for a week. This requirement is similar um, to the Title 42 authority used by both President Biden and then President Trump during the pandemic, um, during the public health emergency but it would carry a stricter penalty for anyone who tries repeat crossings, a one-year ban on seeking legal entry. Um, migrants would have to show more evidence to establish they have a re reasonable possibility of qualifying for protection in the U.S. before they can pursue a case by elevating the credible fear standard, which is the first step in the asylum claim process. The standard for a final determination wouldn't change, just the initial screening threshold. Um, the bill would also add a combined 50,000 work and family visas a year for the next five years and protect legal foreign workers' children from aging out of legal status within the H-1B program. It contains about $20 billion in border security and immigration provisions. Um, I say all that, go into detail, um, but I will say the bill's future remains dim. There's a growing chorus of Republican opponents to the measure, and Speaker Johnson declared the bill dead on arrival before the text was even released. And he reiterated that claim this morning after the text had been released. And I mean, as you all know, the border deal was meant to unlock additional relief money for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. But it's possible that Congress ultimately decouples the two. And actually, I believe it was either Friday or, or Saturday, House Speaker Johnson released the text of um, a $17.6 billion security supplemental funding bill solely for Israel that the House is expected to consider this week. So um, he did that even before we um, had seen, you know, the final text of kind of the border security legislation. So 
still a lot in flux. We expect um, the House to take up their um, Israel funding bill this week. And um, John, I can't remember. I'm not certain if the Senate could take up a procedural motion this week on the immigration foreign aid bill, but I think they're trying to before they leave. Yes, the plan is for the Senate to take up uh, a procedural motion, um, the motion to proceed on Wednesday. Um, This is a crucial test vote um, for the overall border deal. Um, Right now, Senate negotiators um, have been a little bullish on um, the bill's prospects. Senate Republicans um, have not been very kind on the bills released, um, especially some of the younger members that are significantly more conservative than the the old guard, I'll say. So you have Senator Lee, Senator Hawley, um, who have criticized the bill as being a giveaway to immigration activists, which is kind of a ridiculous claim because the bill is significantly more conservative than anything Democrats have pulled together um, over the past 20 years since the failure of uh, comprehensive immigration reform, you know, starting in 2005, 2013. Um, there are basically no, uh, nothing there in terms of legalization of, or uh, regularization of status for current um, migrants that are in this country. It severely restricts the asylum process. Um, overall, uh, there are a lot of provisions in there that Democrats consider to be a red line, um, even until a year ago. Um, and yet there are more detractors for the bill than those that are saying that we need to pass this immediately. Um, with the House saying that they're not going to take it up, it relieves some of the pressure for Senate Republicans to take a tough vote. Um, and of course, hovering over this entire process is former President Trump, um, who is putting pressure on Senate Republicans and of course on the House to uh, trash the deal. Um, you know, they are concerned that if they vote for this bill, that he has come out against, that he will come out against them and start, you know, promising a primary challenge or not providing money to them or criticizing him on the campaign trail. Um, so there's just all these elements within the Republican conference um, that are kind of pointing in a negative direction um, for the measure. So this is a long version of just saying that we will see most likely a vote on um uh, a procedural motion vote uh, on Wednesday, and it's unclear if it will get the necessary uh, Republican and Democratic support. Um, both McConnell and Schumer are in support of the measure, but it really will take kind of the center right and the center left um, to pass the bill to get it first, but beyond that first hurdle. Um, I think we said this on last week's call, but there's also concern um, from the progressive left in the Senate and many in the House. Um, that take umbrage with sort of the bill's approach um, and a number of pro-immigration groups, the ACLU and others on the left um, have decried the bill as overly harsh, as you know, Trumpian, as, you know, kind of things that you kind of uh, come up with for a bill that doesn't do anything for um, dreamers or for other uh, pro-immigration positions. So um, we're kind of in an interesting position right now, especially considering that there was so much momentum trying to get this over the finish line at the end of last year. Um, but it seemed that momentum seemed to have petered out kind of at the last minute as the bill is being released. Uh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Chair Carson has just returned. Okay. He, um, 
I, I appreciate both of your reports because they're uh, including the written report that was sent this morning. Um, I have kind of like an odd question because you mentioned that in the $118 billion package, uh, there's $60 billion going to Ukraine and $14 billion going to provide support for Israel. And we at the county tend to focus a lot on local issues and, and definitely what's happening on the immigration front has an impact on us. I'm just curious if, and I, I think you've seen in the news in Alameda County, a number of cities um, through uh, various forms of activism are being asked to take positions on these foreign affairs. Um, and clearly when you're talking about 14 billion to Israel, that's like four times or three times uh, the county's budget. Do you uh, see when local jurisdictions take these positions, whether it has any effect on, on Washington, D.C. and the allocation of these resources for foreign wars? I'm thinking about this. I mean, I don't think we've seen local governments historically, like, taking positions. Um, so, so, no, I haven't seen it, but I can only imagine that if enough start to do so, you know, members of Congress would have to take a look at it. I think historically we have funded Israel and I don't have like numbers in front of me, but they get X amount each year, um, you know, from either the, the defense bill and then probably state foreign ops as well. That's just kind of baked in each year. Um, of course, I think what we're trying to do right now is a supplemental. So on top of that, but um, I mean, I certainly think any time constituents weigh in, members do look at it. I, I don't know if that's helpful, John, if you have anything else to add. Um, I think we're in a really unique situation, um, especially on the Israel front. Um, you know, the United States and Israel have had a very long alliance in the region. You know, we historically, the government, the U.S. government has provided billions of dollars to the appropriations process, like Emily said, but they've also provided a lot of money. Um, for the Iron Dome through supplemental emergency aid, like we're seeing now. Um, because of that alliance, it has been done without preconditions. So that level of oversight that I think many have been calling for has not been present. Um, so there's concern from a lot of members to suddenly impose that standard um, on uh, a foreign ally. Um, I do think that advocacy on the local side does have an impact on how members interpret um, their votes. And I know that many on the Democratic side have been receiving pressure um, from all levels of the Democratic coalition um, on this particular issue. So I do think that it has an impact um, because it does spread the message out from you know, it's not just from one, one subset of the population. It's coming from elected officials and it's coming from governments. Um, and that message does go far. So I, I can't necessarily say the success that it can have because who's to say what sort of any sort of advocacy can have on an, on an overall um, funding problem or international you know, geopolitics, I think is a very tough one to kind of tackle. But I don't think it has, it falls on deaf ears. And I, I do think that members of Congress 
absolutely pay attention when their local um, jurisdictions kind of take a stand on a particular issue, especially one as um, much of a lightning rod as this has become over the past couple of months. Thank you. Are there any other questions or comments? Anyone online? Questions or comments? Okay. Uh, with that, uh, we have one proposed legislation, California uh, Education and Training Voucher Program Eligibility Expansion Request from Social Service Agency for Support. Um, are there any comments or questions regarding that, uh, which is coming from Andrea Ford, the agency director? No, okay, no one on, online. Okay, then we'll advance that forward. Um, anyone online want to uh, make a comment or say anything about anything which is not on today's uh, agenda for our federal legislative update? There are no online comments. Okay, thank you. Uh, anyone uh, online would like to identify themselves so as a matter of record we know that uh, you were a participant and attended this meeting. Hi, this is Leon Fernando, Child Support Services. Thanks. Thank you. Good afternoon. This is Eileen Ng with the Alameda County Healthcare Services Agency. Thank you. <clears throat> That's all we have, Supervisor Carson. Okay. Thank you for those who attended. I did see that there were about 11 people who had signed in. So, I appreciate your observation and attendance, and with that, we're adjourned. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh -huh. Thank you very much. Recording stopped. <laughs>